Hi, I'm Edie and I'm a reading specialist. I love all kinds of books, board books, picture books, middle grade books, YA books. Well, you get the idea. Even though it has been years, I am still coming to terms with my kids not wanting me to read out loud to them. Loved the days of Fancy Nancy, Monkey with the Tool Belt, and Piggy and Gerald. Hi, I'm Leah, an avid reader, writer, and lover of magazines. I may have inherited that from my grandma, who had a nice little stash in her linen closet, and I also think it had something to do with my English major in university. Too many essays, too much analyzing. I needed a break. There is still nothing better than a celebrity gossip magazine with a glass of something bubbly in the bubble bath on a Friday evening. We're the Two Chit Chat Chicks. Like always, we'll be sharing chit chat tips and tricks. An app and a podcast. And we will gather around the campfire to chat about burning topics. Our favorite YA books. And of course, we'll have our chit chat challenge of the week. In our Chit Chat Tips and Tricks segment, we share things that make our lives just a little bit happier or better. Leah, my tip this week is yet another excellent podcast. Today I'm recommending the podcast, What Should I Read Next? Mm. The host is Anne Bogle. Every week, Anne talks to a bookish guest about their reading life. After chatting books for a while, Anne makes three book recommendations that she thinks the guest will enjoy reading. Anne's blog is also excellent, and I have gotten so many ideas of what to read next from her. Her blog is called Modern Mrs. Darcy. I hope you check out both her podcast and her blog for some bookish inspiration. That sounds fabulous, Edie. It is. Well, I have an app called Flipster, which I was able to sign into with my Seattle Public Library card. This means not only can I sign out books online and read them on my Kindle app, I can also read a wide assortment of magazines on my iPad. It's like Christmas for me every time I sign out the most recent Oprah or In Style magazine, and the weekly People and Us downloads keep me up on the latest celebrity gossip. I get The New Yorker, Newsweek, Martha Stewart, and lots of Home and Garden magazines. I'll tell you, Edie, it is the best, and it's free! Since I started using this app, I have saved myself a bucket load on magazine purchases and have passed countless happy hours leafing or and or scrolling rather through magazines. It's the best and I think most public libraries offer the Flipster app or something similar. So check it out. Absolutely. But wait, do I hear a campfire? Do I hear a campfire tune? Fire's burning, fire's burning, draw nearer, draw nearer. It's time for Campfire Chat! Today, we are going to be discussing YA, or young adult fiction, that has moved us, either recently or in the past. Since most of our audience are not teenagers, you might wonder why we are having this discussion. Right? Well, part of it is because we both teach tweens or young teens, so we are tuned into these kinds of books, and we believe these books all transcend age. 
They are suitable for a younger audience, but they have touched us and brought us back to a lovelier time. Oh, we are also both superb read-alouders, <laughs> so we thought we might mesmerize you with passages from our favorite YA books. Yes. You know, we are so immersed in news and serious nonfiction about the state of society, along with all those self-help books that claim to cure all of our woes. Reading YA fiction is a fabulous way to escape that and tune into our younger selves. Remember how we love to do that? I sure do. Just think back to a simpler time when you'd curl up in your tree fort or snuggle in your bed and just pass the hours away with voracious reading. You wouldn't stop until your mom called you for dinner or your eyes couldn't stay open a second longer. Leah, what book are you going to start us off with today? Well, I don't know how I could not talk about Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery, because I believe the protagonist, Anne, had more to do with the shaping of my personality than any character living or immortalized in fiction. When I first read Anne of Green Gables and the subsequent books in the trilogy and beyond, I was probably nine or ten years old. I knew pretty much immediately that I wanted to be Anne, and parts of me already were Anne. No. Yeah. First, I loved how Anne Shirley came into her own as a young girl, an 11-year-old, when Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert, an aging brother and sister, adopted her as their own, even though they wanted a boy who would help them work on the farm. Here's an excerpt from when Marilla meets Anne for the first time. Marilla came briskly forward as Matthew opened the door, but when her eyes fell on the odd little figure in the stiff, ugly dress with the long braids of red hair and the eager, luminous eyes, she stopped short in amazement. Matthew Cuthbert, who's that? she exclaimed. Where is the boy? There wasn't any boy, said Matthew wretchedly. There was only her. He nodded at the child, remembering that he had never even asked her name. No boy, but there must have been a boy, insisted Marilla. We sent word to Mrs. Spencer to bring a boy. Well, she didn't. She brought her. I asked the station master, and I had to bring her home. She couldn't be left there, no matter where the mistake had come in. Well, this is a pretty piece of business, exclaimed Marilla. During this dialogue, the child had remained silent, her eyes roving from one to the other, all the animation fading out of her face. Suddenly, she seemed to grasp the full meaning of what had been said. Dropping her precious carpet bag, she sprang forward a step and clasped her hands. You don't want me, she cried. You don't want me because I'm not a boy. I might have expected it. Nobody ever did want me. I might have known it was all too beautiful to last. I might have known nobody really did want me. Oh, what shall I do? I'm going to burst into tears. Burst into tears she did, sitting down on a chair by the table, flinging her arms out upon it and burying her face in them. She proceeded to cry stormily. Marilla and Matthew looked at each other deprecatingly across the stove. Neither of them knew what to say or do. Finally, Marilla stepped lamely into the breach. Well, well, there's no need to cry so about it. 
Yes, there is a need. The child raised her head quickly, revealing a tear-stained face and trembling lips. You would cry too if you were an orphan and had come to a place you thought was going to be home and found that they didn't want you because you weren't a boy. Oh, this is the most tragical thing that has ever happened to me. Something like a reluctant smile, rather rusty from long disuse, mellowed Marilla's grim expression. Well, don't cry any more. We're not going to turn you out of doors tonight. You'll have to stay here until we investigate this affair. What's your name? The child hesitated for a moment. Will you please call me Cordelia? She said eagerly. Call you Cordelia? Is that your name? No, it's not exactly my name, but I would love to be called Cordelia. It's such a perfectly elegant name. I don't know what on earth you mean. If Cordelia isn't your name, what is? Anne Shirley reluctantly faltered forth, the owner of that name. But oh, please do call me Cordelia. It can't matter much to you what you call me if I'm only going to be here a little while, can it? And Anne is such an unromantic name. Unromantic fiddlesticks, said the unsympathetic Marilla. Anne is a real good, plain, sensible name. You've no need to be ashamed of it. Oh, I'm not ashamed of it, explained Anne, only I like Cordelia better. I've always imagined that my name was Cordelia. At least, I always have of late years. When I was young, I used to imagine it was Geraldine, but I like Cordelia better now. But if you call me Anne, please call me Anne, spelled with an E. What difference does it make how it's spelled? asked Marilla with another rusty smile as she picked up the teapot. Oh, it makes such a difference. It looks so much nicer. When you hear a name pronounced, can't you always see it in your mind, just as if it was printed out? I can, and A-N-N looks dreadful, but A-N-N-E looks so much more distinguished. If you'll only call me Anne, spelled with an E, I shall try to reconcile myself to not being called Cordelia. Oh! Excellent, excellent reading, Leia. I think LeVar Burton should worry about his job. <laughs> he's, the, he's the guy who has the Read Aloud podcast, right? Yes, What's from Reading Rainbow. Oh my gosh. Okay. I think his podcast is called LeVar Burton Reads. Okay, well yeah. back to Anne. Yes, but back to Anne. <laughs> Let me tell you, this book has everything you could want. Friendship, imagination, righteous indignation, vanity, love of words. Oh. And many of you will have already read these books. I know that. But I highly recommend a reread. What's not to love about curling up with some cherry or raspberry cordial and eating some green apples while delighting yourself in the antics of Anne? She'll steal your heart all over again and make you embrace adventure and mischief. There is just no question that she is my favorite literary character of all time, and I am certain I am not alone. No, you're not, Leia. A couple of summers ago, I had a Summer of Anne, mm. Anne with an E, when I reread all the Anne books. My mom reread them too. It was so enjoyable to spend time with the gang on Prince Edward Island again. Oh, what could be more delightful than that? I think I'm ready for another trip to Prince Edward Island. Well, it is no secret that my favorite series is The Little House series by Laura Ingalls Wilder. 
My mom started off reading the series to me. One day, when I was in second grade, I was waiting for my mom to finish cleaning the kitchen. She was taking forever, so I picked up the book, Little House on the Prairie, and realized I could actually read it. As a disclaimer about my reading skills, in my day, you weren't expected to leave kindergarten being a proficient reader, and I don't even think you had to read in first grade. So it really wasn't too uncommon for second graders to not be aware that they could read. Right? Back me up on this, Leia. Yeah, it's true. It can come as a complete surprise. Anyway, all of that is neither here nor there. I love Laura because she was able to overcome incredible obstacles. I also love that Laura wasn't a goody-good. She was often jealous of her golden sister Mary, and she would be sassy if she felt someone was being treated unjustly. Like Anne, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Remember when Carrie was accidentally rocking her desk while at school? No. Eliza Wilder, Almanzo's horrid older sister, was the teacher. Oh, yeah. Anyway, Miss Wilder made Carrie rock the desk as a punishment, even though it was too much for peaked Carrie. Listen to how Laura saves the day. Surely, she thought, Carrie will be excused soon. Carrie was white. She was doing her best to keep the seat rocking, but it was too heavy. Its movement grew less and less. At last, with all her strength, Carrie could hardly move it at all. Faster, Carrie, faster, Miss Wilder said. You wanted to rock the seat, now do it. Laura was on her feet. Her fury took possession of her. She did not try to resist it. She gave way completely. Miss Wilder, she cried, if you want that seat rocked faster, I'll rock it for you. (gasps) Miss Wilder pounced on that gladly. You may do just that. You needn't take your book, just rock that seat. Laura hurried down the aisle. She whispered to Carrie, sit still and rest. She braced her feet solidly on the floor and she rocked. Not for nothing had Pa always said that she was as strong as a little French horse. (laughs) Thump went the back legs on the floor. Thump, the front legs came down. All the bolts came quite loose. And thump, 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 thump. The seat (laughs) went in rhythm. While gladly, Laura rocked and Carrie simply sat resting. Oh, my. I'm going to leave you there. (laughs) Cliffhanger. (laughs) But I also love the cozy, nurturing space Little House Books opened for me. Reading about fiddle tunes, wide open spaces, and fried potatoes always makes me feel secure. Let me read about the fine turkey dinner the Ingles shared with the boasts after surviving the long winter. The potatoes turned out white and fluffy, though not with the flavor that plenty of hot milk and butter would have given them. When all the chairs were drawn up to the well-filled table, Ma looked at Pa and every head bowed. Lord, we thank thee for all thy bounty. That was all Pa said, but it seemed to say everything. The table looks some different from what it did a few days ago, Pa said as he heaped Mrs. Boast's plate with turkey and stuffing and potatoes and a large spoonful of cranberries. And as he went on filling the plates, he added, It's been a long winter and a hard one, said Mr. Boast. It is a wonder how we all kept well and came through it, Mrs. Mm. Bose said. 
I can just see them all sitting at that table, <sighs> right? Tucking <sighs> into that food <laughs> after just eating. Yeah, what did they eat? Like, just like weeds? seed corn. <laughs> seed corn, that's right. <laughs> yep. Oh, boy. Okay, well, my next book that I'm going to talk about is Number the Stars by Lois Lowry. This book got me loving historical fiction as an adult. I didn't read it until maybe 15 years ago when I was teaching fifth grade. I was captivated, and I couldn't put it down. So... While this is a book for young adults, it is one that anyone can read and enjoy. It'll be a quick read, but a deep and delicious one. I didn't read it until I was an adult also and was so moved by it that I immediately reread it. Oh, I totally get that. So Number of the Stars takes place in Denmark during World War II. The main characters are two best friends, Anne-Marie Johansson and Ellen Rosen. Ellen is Jewish, and as the book begins, it is 1943, and the war is already well underway. Denmark has surrendered to the Nazis, and they're living under military rule. One day, it becomes evident that the Jews are under surveillance, and the plot accelerates here. Here's an excerpt from Chapter 3, where you can see how the reader is drawn in by the events happening during this time in history. The days of September passed, one after the other, much the same. Anne-Marie and Ellen walked to school together and home again, always now taking the longer way, avoiding the tall soldier and his partner. Kirsty dawdled just behind them or scampered ahead, never out of their sight. The two mothers still had their coffee together in the afternoons. Of course, it wasn't really coffee, though the mother still called it that, having coffee. There had been no real coffee in Copenhagen since the beginning of the Nazi occupation, not even real tea. The mother sipped at hot water flavored with herbs. Like the other families in their building, the Johansons had opened the old chimney and installed a little stove to use for cooking because electricity was rationed now. At night, they used candles for light. Sometimes Ellen's father, a teacher, complained because he couldn't see in the dim light to correct his students' papers. After school, when the girls stopped at the button shop, which had been there as long as Anne-Marie could remember, they found it closed. There was a new padlock on the door and a sign, but the sign was in German. They couldn't read the words. I wonder if Mrs. Hirsch is sick, Anne-Marie said as they walked away. I saw her Saturday, Ellen said. She was with her husband and their son. They all looked just fine. Or at least the parents looked just fine. The son always looks like a horror, she giggled. <laughs> I think the Hershes all went on a vacation to the seashore, Kirsty announced. Oh, and I suppose they took a big basket of pink frosted cupcakes with them, Anne-Marie said sarcastically to her sister. Yes, I suppose they did, Kirsty replied. Anne-Marie and Ellen exchanged looks. No one in Copenhagen had taken a vacation at the seashore since the war began. There were no pink frosted cupcakes. There hadn't been for months. Still, Anne-Marie thought, looking back at the shop before they turned the corner, where was Mrs. Hirsch? The Hirsch family had gone somewhere. Why else would they close the shop? So without giving too much away, Ellen moves in with the Johansons and pretends to be part of the family. Anne-Marie is asked to go on a dangerous mission to save Ellen's life. 
This is a story of bravery and adventure and an historic look at how the nation of Denmark managed to save nearly the entire Jewish population of their country with some ingenuity and serious bravery and risk. This may be something you didn't know about World War II because we focus on the unspeakable tragedies of the war. So I've read this book aloud and as a shared reading when students read along with their own copies many times over my many years of teaching fifth grade. And each time we have finished it in a matter of days because students beg for us to keep reading. The suspense and your investment in the characters just drives you to read more and find out what happens next. This is Lois Lowry at her best, though I also highly recommend all of her books, but especially this one and the Giver. The Giver. Mm -hmm. The next book I want to talk about is Out of My Mind by the fabulous Sharon Draper. The protagonist is Melody Brooks, an 11-year-old girl with cerebral palsy. Now, Melody's body is stiff and uncooperative and she is unable to speak. Melody uses a wheelchair to get around. But there is absolutely nothing wrong with Melody's mind. She has a photographic memory and is extremely social. The book takes us along as Melody navigates being mainstreamed into regular education classrooms, as she participates in a school quiz team, and makes and loses friends, all while butting against existing stereotypes of people with disabilities. That sounds great. In true Sharon Draper style, the book instantly grabs you. Let me read you chapter one. I want you to get hooked on this book. I want to get hooked too. Words. I'm surrounded by thousands of words, maybe millions. Cathedral, mayonnaise, pomegranate, Mississippi, Neapolitan, hippopotamus, silky, terrifying, iridescent, tickle, sneeze, wish, worry. Words have always swirled around me like snowflakes, each one delicate and different, each one melting in my hands. Deep within me, words pile up in huge drifts, mountains of phrases and sentences and connected ideas, clever expressions, jokes, love songs. From the time I was really little, maybe just a few months old, words were like sweet, liquid gifts, and I drank them like lemonade. I could almost taste them. They made my jumbled thoughts and feelings have substance. My parents have always blanketed me with conversation. They chattered and babbled. They verbalized and vocalized. My father sang to me, and my mother whispered her strength into my ear. Every word my parents spoke to me or about me, I absorbed and kept and remembered all of them. I have no idea how I untangled the complicated process of words and thought, but it happened quickly and naturally. By the time I was two, all my memories had words and all my words had meanings, but only in my head. I have never uttered one single word. I am almost 11 years old. <laughs> Don't you just want to go on to chapter two? Oh my gosh, I'm verklempt. <laughs> That's what Sharon Draper does to you. Wow, I'm hooked. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Ooh. Okay, 
Well, on to a lighter note, okay? Uh, Because of Winn-Dixie by Kate DiCamillo is just pure delight from beginning to end. It doesn't matter if you're a 40-year-old woman or a 10-year-old kid. Here's how it starts. My name is India Opal Baloney, and last summer, my daddy, the preacher, sent me to the store for a box of macaroni and cheese, some white rice, and two tomatoes. And I came back with a dog. This is what happened. I walked into the produce section of the Winn-Dixie grocery store to pick out my two tomatoes, and I almost bumped right into the store manager. He was standing there all red-faced, screaming and waving his arms around. Who let a dog in here? He kept on shouting. Who let a dirty dog in here? At first, I didn't see a dog. There were just a lot of vegetables rolling around on the floor, tomatoes and onions and green peppers. And there was what seemed like a whole army of Winn-Dixie employees running around, waving their arms just the same way the store manager was waving his. And then the dog came running around the corner. He was a big dog and ugly, and he looked like he was having a real good time. His tongue was hanging out and he was wagging his tail. He skidded to a stop and smiled right at me. I had never before in my life seen a dog smile, but that is what he did. He pulled back his lips and showed me all his teeth. Then he wagged his tail so hard that he knocked some oranges off a display, and they went rolling everywhere, mixing in with the tomatoes and onions and green peppers. The manager screamed, Somebody grab that dog! The dog went running over to the manager, wagging his tail and smiling. He stood up on his hind legs. You could tell that all he wanted to do was get face to face with the manager and thank him for the good time he was having in the produce department. But somehow, he ended up knocking the manager over. And the manager must have been having a bad day because lying there on the floor right in front of everybody, he started to cry. The dog leaned over, real concerned, and licked his face. Please, said the manager, somebody call the pound. Wait a minute, I hollered. That's my dog. Don't call the pound. All the Winn-Dixie employees turned around and looked at me. I knew I had done something big and maybe stupid, but I couldn't help it. I couldn't let that dog go to the pound. Here, boy, I said. The dog stopped licking the manager's face and put his ears up in the air and looked at me like he was trying to remember where he knew me from. Here, boy, I said again, and then I figured that the dog was probably just like everybody else in the world, that he would want to get called by a name, only I didn't know what his name was. So I just said the first thing that came into my head. I said, here, Winn-Dixie, and that dog came trotting over to me like he had been doing it his whole life. The manager sat up and gave me a hard stare like maybe I was making fun of him. It's his name, I said, honest. The manager said, don't you know not to bring a dog into the grocery store? Yes, sir, I told him. He got in by mistake. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. How do you like that? Mm. (laughs) Well, it revs up from there with India Opal Baloney, learning the value of friendship, dealing with the loss of her mother, bonding with her rather reclusive father, and of course, realizing how deep the love between animals and humans can be. As a side note, when I was teaching grade 6 ESL at St. Paul Public Schools, I read this with a group of students on the recommendation of my friend Teresa, who actually called me from Maryland to tell me I had to read this fabulous new book she had just discovered. It hadn't yet hit the big time. Well, read it I did, on my own, and then with my students. 
Now this is back in the day when phone books were still a thing, these big fat ones, and I actually looked up Kate DeCamillo's phone number. It was in there, so I gave her a call to see if she could come chit-chat with my students at school. You did not. <laughs> I did. She actually picked up and we had the loveliest conversation. We must have chit-chatted for about half an hour. I adored her. I felt like she could become a good friend. Regrettably, she couldn't make it, and she shot to stardom a few months later. I'm sure she has an unlisted phone number now. Wow. Hearing that story makes me want to reread each and every Kate D. Camillo book. I loved your recent trilogy about three friends, Beverly, Louisiana, and Ramey. Ah. Well, I know we have a lot of avid readers over at The Coop, and I'm looking forward to more YA recommendations. I didn't have time for my third YA recommendation. Because I took so much time. (laughs) (laughs) But mine would definitely be A Long Walk to Water by Linda Sue Park. Mm. Or maybe The War That Saved My Life by Kimberly Brubaker Bradley. (laughs) It's time for the Chit Chat Challenge. Your challenge this week is to share your favorite YA fiction. We'll gather up an autumn reading list for our chicks and roosters. If you are going to be practicing the Danish art of hygge, you will need to have lots of books stacked around your house. You can read them while being wrapped in a soft blanket and eating nourishing stews. Or soups. Or tea. All of that is very hygge. <laughs> So that is it for episode 10 of the Two Chit Chat Chicks. Check out the show notes for our book recommendations, our blogs, and Edie's Prairie Girl Greeting Store online. Remember to watch for us on Sundays now. And thanks for giving us a plug to your friends and family. Also, if you can figure out how to review us on iTunes, please do that too. Maybe I'll put a tutorial in the show notes. Good idea, Leia. Bye-bye. Clack, clack.